Uh, welcome to uh, worship again this morning. Uh, you can see behind us the pyramids are uh, still white. We're still uh, in Easter here in the church. In so many ways, it feels like uh, the world speeds back uh, to normal after the liturgical calendar uh, brings us to the festival of Easter. Uh, but the church lingers, uh, and so we're still here. And I'll read the Gospel this morning from the 24th chapter of Luke, and you can listen carefully and see if perhaps uh, a question is raised for you as you're hearing these words, uh, something you might want to respond to. Just go ahead and type it in the comments, uh, and, uh, and uh, we'll go forward together. So, from uh, the 24th chapter of St. Luke, while they were Talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why did doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and Jesus took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things." Um, so I'm wondering if maybe something jumps out you there to you. Um, I'm often struck by the fact that they, they were, in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. There's this, this mix of, is, is this really Jesus with us? Is it too good to be true? And confusion, and boy, if that isn't relevant to where we find ourselves as a community, as, as the church? What is our place in this mix of, of tragedy and, and joy? Uh, where do we find ourselves in these stories? So, uh, we'll see. I think we've had a couple of questions that have been submitted uh, ahead of time, so we can start with those, or uh, if, uh, if something's coming in here live, uh, uh, we'll, we'll address those, but 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, we've received a few ahead of time. One is from Mike. He says, what would you ask God if you could ask God any question? So he said, if we didn't ask the pastors with God as the pastor that we were asking, what would we ask? <laughs> such a, thanks, Mike. <laughs> such, a, such a small question to start the morning. <clears throat> I mean, I got lots. I got, I'll pull out a pull out a notebook I carry around with me with my questions for God. <laughs> I think I'd probably ask, is it really true that you <laughs> forgot all of my sins that you've forgiven? <laughs> I'd, I'd Question probably number have one. to start there. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, you, do, you really, yes. do, do you really forget? Uh, I remember when I, so long story short, but I was a vet tech for a while before I did ministry stuff and uh, I used to say my first question to God would be, why don't pets live as long as people? Because it would just be so brutal to watch the heartbreak of that. Yeah. Um, uh, so then I think that's, that's part of it. Although I, th I do remember learning that pets teach us how to grieve well. We, we grieve on a little level before we grieve on a bigger level. Um, I would ask a lot of questions about brokenness and, uh, and how... We've always been taught and told that the work of God in the world is redeeming and redemptive and restorative, and I'm like, where is it? <laughs> On my more cynical, hopeless days, that's where I, that's where I would start, I think. Mm. I'd have a lot of accusatory questions. Although maybe if you're finally in front of God, you wouldn't have accusatory questions. <laughs> maybe you'd be like, just happy to be here. I'll sit over there in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thanks. Yeah. Honestly, nothing really leaps to my mind like would be a first question, you know, like um, I might ask what it's like, you know. To be God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's it like to be you? Yeah, something like that. Brent. So Dan Anderson asks, when it is commonly stated in the Bible, it is written, what is this in reference to? What was written by Jesus prior to his coming? Old Testament, perhaps, or what is being referred to? Yeah, most of the time when that phrase is used in the scriptures, it's referring to a, a scriptural passage. And most of the time, we can even determine which passage that is. Um, there are a few instances where... Uh, it is written can refer to um, um, rabbinical writings that you know are commentaries on the scripture, and so it would have been common knowledge within the people of faith, uh, a certain um, tenets of the faith that so so when but when that phrase is used, generally speaking, um, it's pointing back to a uh, to the Hebrew scriptures more often than not, um, and um, and then Jesus or whomever has used that phrase is expanding on, on that particular passage of Scripture. And a good study Bible will give you that footnote. So yeah. if you have a, a pretty decent study Bible, it'll tell you where you can find that, whether it be typically the law is one that Jesus refers to a lot. Isaiah and Psalms are referred to a lot, so you can kind of find those passages. But a good study Bible will have it footnoted for you. <laughs> uh, 
Do you want another one? Sure, yeah. This is no small potatoes here. Grace asked us, what was God's intention in creating gender and the roles that come along with it? Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, maybe that's what I'll ask God. <laughs> I mean, I think people created gender, but that's just my feeling. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's important for us to remember that the creation story is a story. It's the story we tell ourselves and tell our people. It's our creation story, but it doesn't necessarily have to have happened I know I'm opening up a huge can of worms. Just watch the questions explode over there. Hey-o! Uh, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a blueprint, but a story that God created. God created humanity, and the expressions of humanity are different. Uh, they're not, they can be on any level of spectrum. And I think it's important to remember that the language for God in Scripture is does not contain gender. We have added gender onto God, just as we have added gender onto humanity. And so you start there, it changes a lot of reading of scripture. Um, so often when it says like men of blah, 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 men of Acropolis or whatever it is, it's, it's human. The word is mankind or people. And we've just added gender onto these words because of who was writing it, who was recording it, the way society was when it was being written down, all sorts of many details. Um, but it's important to remember that, I don't know, I, I would argue the premise of God created gender. I would, start, I would start with God created humanity. And then we've, you know, we like to, we like to get in there and mess it up a little. That's how we do. <laughs> yeah. Guys, put your questions in the comments. Or if you know what, here's the deal. If you don't want to put your question in the comment because you're like, I don't want my, I'm scared of everybody seeing me ask this question, you can message it too, like to the little message. We'll get it. We'll get it. Or message Katie or Brent. They're, they're on their phones right there looking for questions too. So feel free to do it that way. Yeah, and, you know, the church is continually wrestling with questions as to how we live out faith in a time when um, we're <laughs> unable or have been unable uh, to gather for the most part in person. You know, one of the very first questions that we addressed was whether or not we were going to encourage our community to share in the sacrament of Holy Communion uh, remotely. And we, uh, as you, most of you are aware, if you're regular worshipers with us, we decided early on that we would, in fact, encourage, uh, uh, I mean, we, we, we understood it to be a way for us to continue to commune uh, together. But that's not the, um, the, the decision that all congregations made. It wasn't the guidance we were getting, frankly, from, uh, from our synodical leaders. Um, uh, both um, <laughs> locally and, and nationally. So, a little bit of a, you might not have known this, but... <laughs> we went rogue, guys. We, yeah, we, <laughs> we did that. So, um, so that's, uh, I mean, though these, these ways that we live out our, our faith as a community, remaining connected, um, but unable to safely gather together, um, they, these are interesting theological um, 
uh, things to grapple with. And, and so we're doing it as a community. We've never pretended to be uh, uh, right all the time, but um, uh, decisions have to be made, and, that, and that's what we've done. Um, so um, maybe you have uh, members uh, in your family who attend other uh, churches, and they've made different decisions, and uh, you might have uh, questions uh, related to that. Um, uh, we, we very much look forward to the time when we can be back together in this place, and we've, uh, we've tried to take into account um, the safety of, of our membership uh, uh, and all those who worship with us uh, as we've decided the timing of things, and um, we continue to, uh, you know, as I drive to church just a short distance, I live here in Brooklyn Park, um, I pass uh, a few congregations and I see full parking lots. Well, um, that's not the decision we have made. We've chosen a, a different way. And we have not just practical, but we have theological reasons for how we are choosing to move forward through this time of pandemic. These are big, uh, profound things to wrestle with uh, as people of faith. I also... I also just want to add that a primary question to be asking whenever you're sort of wondering these bigger questions of theology, where is God in the world? How would, if, I think a good one to ponder regularly, just regularly ask yourself if Jesus were to show up today, where would Jesus show up? And I fully believe Jesus would pop into Zoom meetings. I fully believe Jesus would show up at a FaceTime at a hospital bed. Um, I fully believe Jesus shows up around our tables as we do communion in different spaces. Um, I think it's so limiting of God to say Jesus only shows up when we're gathered in this building in this one time. And so to, to keep asking ourselves, you know, I believe Jesus would show up on a on a protest line. I believe he shows up with the medic teams. I believe he's showing up in all these places right now. And I think it's really, it's just a good exercise to ask if Jesus were showing up right now, where would he go? Where would he, who would he be with? Um, where would he be? What side would he be on? Because Jesus takes sides for sure. Brent has a question. An individual has a question. Oh, Don't somebody, Brent is asking a question from someone else. <laughs> Does God really encourage our questions? Because I have a lot of them. <laughs> I know Thomas did too. But where do we look for God's love during times like this? How can we see through devastation, especially when this pain is so important to recognize? Nice. Yeah. Um, first of all, I believe there's real profound evidence all throughout Scripture that God does, in fact, welcome our questions and um, can handle our doubts even. You know, mentioned Thomas, Jesus. Thomas said, oh, you know, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus entered the locked room where the other disciples were, um, shut away in fear after the crucifixion and, and the resurrection. And, and so when the disciples told Thomas that they had seen the risen Lord, he said, yeah, I'll believe that when I can, can jam my fingers into the wounds of his side and see his, his hands. Uh, and when Jesus appears to Thomas, that's 
the offer he makes. You know, not to condemn um, for unbelief or having questions or doubts, but to, I mean, our God is always big enough for that stuff. Um, and, and so I, I think bringing those is a part of the journey of faith. It's, it's a part of being engaged. And yeah, and, and where, do we, where do we look for uh, God's presence among times of, uh, of devastation and brokenness and hurting and pain? And you know, I, um, you know, I see it all, all over the place. I mean, I, I mean, where we see people going out of their way to put themselves uh, next to people who are suffering when they didn't need to do that. They're going to soon enough be suffering themselves. Uh, but to put yourself next to somebody else and take upon yourself their suffering and then layer on top of that uh, the, the racial uh, animus of it all and the, and the, and the political overlay of, of uh, you know, policing and, and uh, social justice and all, all the rest of it. Uh, to just enter that fray rather than if you're blessed to not be positioned in the middle of it. Um, this is where um, I recognize God's action in the world. I've seen it all over the world and continue to see it even today. Uh, I see it in the, in the lives of our membership on a regular basis in mundane times when we're not all... Um, wrapped up in some national tragedy, you know, where their very inclination is to serve, to go out of their way and volunteer and give and serve. And um, I, I see it all the time. It's, uh, it's where I see um, God's people and God's presence through them in, in all of the brokenness. I also... I think the space for God's questions, there are, it's just, there's so many places in scripture where, I mean, you think of David as a, as a sort of a, a figure, a figurehead of faith. People look up to David. I don't know if that's always a great idea. He was a pretty sinful dude, but also there's something connecting in that his sinfulness and we still look to him, right? And he is given credit for many of the Psalms and so many of the Psalms he's given credit for are, are big questions, just big unanswered questions. Why is this happening? How long will this keep happening? Why can't you make it better? Where are you? It feels like my enemies are winning. All of this stuff is just right in our scripture. And so it, to, to, it feels, I know it feels right now like we're just getting one on top of the other. Every day we wake up, it's another news story. It's another tragedy. It's another trauma. It's another grief. It's another lament. And it, feels, it can feel like we're doing this all for the first time, but this is the story of, of being human, is that grief and trauma and this stuff has been happening for many, many generations. There's been power structure and systemic problems forever, and there has always been a voice uh, in, in and outside of the church asking these big questions. Why? Why, God? Where are you? And so 
when you have that question, it doesn't make you less faithful or less of a, a person who believes in God. It just makes you human. And, it, and it's comforting to know that you're in such good company of people asking these hard questions. And I think I tend to distrust people who are like, oh, everything's great. God is here. Uh, way more. I, I distrust that way more than people who are like, where is God? I'm not okay. Those are my people because that's where I sit very often lately. And I think we're in good company and I think God is there. I think God is in the midst of people asking that question. And and I am thankful <laughs> that, that God is there in those questions too. Yeah. Brent, got one? Another uh, just question from an individual. Um, interacting with those of other faiths, it's currently Ramadan. Yeah. Um, has what have been some of Prince of Peace's examples of engaging with our neighbors of other faith, and how might we uh, meet them where they're at in their holy seasons as well? Yeah. Um, well, Prince of Peace has um, people who are connected to this community of faith scattered about. <laughs> Uh, the state and well beyond that. So, how we in, how how which is to say, every time one of our people is engaged with somebody of another faith tradition in one way or another, there is the church. So, um, you know, on a on a sort of regular basis, we have we have groups of folks who come and go from uh, Jamaica, uh, where they serve uh, people in need and they worship with. Uh, Pentecostal folks who, whose faith tradition is really significantly other than what we experience <laughs> together here. Um, and they embrace that and they are ambassadors and, uh, and they do it graciously and they learn and they, uh, and they share uh, kind of God's love in that way. And there's others who uh, have come and gone from Tanzania, where there is a large Muslim population, and uh, where we have partners in ministry, and m many of the places that we uh, have supported financially and continue to do so um, are, are uh, homes for uh, street children or orphanages uh, that reach out, uh, though they are primarily operated through the Lutheran Church, they welcome and embrace and serve and love uh, children of all faith backgrounds. There's a real mix of, uh, of Muslims and Lutherans in all of those um, organizations that we support. Here locally, we, uh, we have a diverse community. Um, we've, uh, we've had speakers here um, who, who have uh, addressed some of the some of the issues there uh, that that um, you know that this community has been open to um, embracing. One of the beautiful things about being Lutheran uh, for me is that uh, it's never uh, our theology does. Uh, I mean, we are called to be bearers of good news, and so 
um, are, we need not be threatened by other faith traditions. I mean, I, I just think it's wonderful and beautiful, and, and uh, I love to he hear them. I'm curious about what people uh, believe and why they believe it. And if you say, but aren't you, Chad, supposed to convert them? Uh, I say, that's not, I don't think so. I mean, my whole body went, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean this is uh, unfortunately, it is the posture of a, a good section of the, of the, of the Christian tradition. Uh, not, not, not for Lutherans. I, I, I think uh, if the opportunity um, arises for me to say, uh, you know, they're in this conversation. They're asking me, what about this Jesus? What is it? Uh, that you believe in why, and, and, and I hopefully am given the chance to get around to saying, I think this, this Jesus uh, loves you, you know, Maasai warrior or Chaga tribes person or, or whatever the case may be, uh, as much as me. God, I believe, decided to come as this person, Jesus, so that we might know that God is not uh, out to get us or, or, or indifferent to us, or angry with us, but loves us and would like for us to show love to one another. That's what I, what I think. And so um, I think that people, uh, and if you want to just speak of Prince of Peace people, are engaged with other faith communities in a, in a whole variety of ways, most of which uh, we don't even know of. But I do know of all kinds of folks who in their immediate neighborhood have real deep friendships with people who share a different faith tradition, which is just a beautiful thing. And I think approaching with, like Pastor Chad said, curiosity and openness, um, you know, there, it, it's Ramadan. If you don't know anything about Ramadan and you have a friend who is Muslim, ask them about it. Um, my friend Asma always says, we're waiting for people to ask us. We love to talk about our faith as much as you love to talk about your faith. And there's a level of, understanding that Asma's not trying to change my mind. I'm not trying to change her mind. I'm just trying to learn. Why do you, why do you fast? What's the purpose? What do you get out of it? Why, why is this month the way it is for you? How does it start? How does it end? What's the purpose? What do you learn? And those questions have given me an understanding of Ramadan that I didn't have five years ago, four years ago. And uh, I'm very thankful for people in my life who've been willing to listen um, and hear my questions as, as, as they are, as just curiosity questions. And there's no, we have a relationship that is not about um, conversion, but about friendship and mutual care and compassion for each other. And I think that has made the difference. Um, because I can't go one day without talking about Barbara Brown Taylor, if you want a good book to read, she has a book called Holy Envy that talks about having a posture of openness, and when you learn something about another faith tradition, that there is something in your heart that, that pulls you there because there is a level of, of holy envy for that. You know, Ramadan to me it inspires holy envy in my heart that there is such a devoutness and a discipline to fasting and prayer that I don't have and would have a hard time with. And so I find it really beautiful. And that this, this level of learning and being open and sort of embracing the holy envy and not letting it be like Pastor Chad said, it's not a threat. Somebody else's faith um, devout faith does not threaten my faith, um, but I can see it for what it is and have a level of appreciation and holy envy for it. So, 
you know, St. Barbara, she's got it down. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. Two questions, <clears throat> excuse me, along the lines of forgiveness. Why is it so difficult? And <laughs> where do we draw a line between forgiving those who have hurt you <clears throat> and holding abusers accountable? Well, you can love at a distance. <laughs> uh, so if somebody's hurt you, you can forgive them for yourself and love love at a distance. I think boundaries and forgiveness are two very different things, and I think it's, it's a thing we need to be very clear about, that if somebody isn't safe for you, you are in no way required to be in relationship with them. Uh, that's a boundary. Um, and I think we would, be, we would do well uh, to hold some stronger boundaries around unsafe and unhealthy people. Um, I also think it's not my job to save, forgive, or love everybody, but it's God's job. And so one of our, one of our members here on, <laughs> on mission trips, while we would be driving in not great traffic, would say, it's a good thing Jesus loves you to people that he was mad at. And it was such a good practice for me to be like, okay, okay. It's, it absolves me from needing to be that person for everyone. Um, but also, just a reminder that everybody's a child of God, but I can love them from further away yeah absolutely um forgiveness is not the same as condoning or or giving away your agency or or um um holding accountable you know um don't ever let anybody uh hoodwink you into believing that Forgiving is accepting, um, uh, in this case, the, uh, the word abuse was used. Um, is nothing of this sort. And um, uh, Pastor Natalia said it well. You can remove yourself from any such situation and work on the process of forgiveness uh, from a safe distance, um, which is what we would uh, recommend. And since I'm apparently just throwing books out all morning, if you need a really great, difficult book, The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu is excellent for a process of working on forgiveness and reconciliation. It is a hard, it is, they recognize how hard forgiveness can be in, in instances of deep trauma and pain. So it's, it's a lovely, challenging book, but there's a lot to be said for. Boundaries mean, um, like there, you can, it is not selfish to remove yourself to be safe. Um, boundaries are forgive, they're a part of it. They're a part of it. And forgiveness doesn't mean you have to stay in relationship with someone. Mm -hmm.